and there's no mute button anywhere. Yeah, me neither, actually. This is going to be a big problem. They have to be very, very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> don't move. Don't nope. drink. <laughs> Nobody move. Uh, yeah, you're right, because my bloody mute button is on the on the headphones. It's not in here. And I can't control them from here. Well, anyway, okay, let's be as silent as possible, and then uh, who cares? Okay, so uh, how should we start this? Maybe with a brief introduction of everyone. So uh, let's start from the person I know the most, which is, of course, Yasmin. Um, he, you're, you're a designer, a menswear designer of Versace. You've been also in uh, Roberto Cavalli, Enrico Covery, uh, probably more than 10 years experience now. Uh, you almost aged as me, probably, in terms of, of <laughs> overall working experience, but uh, definitely a bit more focused into the fashion world. Is there anything else you want to add in terms of your experience or past uh, background that might be relevant? Uh, no, no, I think that's more kind of like, uh, more or less it. Um, yeah. Giordano, on your side, co-founder of Fashion Innovation, uh, I saw one interesting, uh, a couple of projects uh, more focused in the charity space, which I found really interesting that I'd like to, you to talk about later. And then uh, uh, if you want to add anything more to your background, you're free to go. Yeah, no, so Fast Innovation, yeah. And my, my not-for-profit is to humanize homelessness using the voices of the fashion industry. And my book is coming out in two months. So that's the the project that I do and decide to help the homeless with the fashion industry. So th those would be the two main ones. Thank you. Matthew, on your side, head of innovation agency at London, Cash London College of Fashion, and of course, a bit of uh, experience in the retail space, which doesn't hurt. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's good to have, I think, particularly when you're throwing technologies at uh, how people are going to engage and respond. I think it's good to, to have that consumer-facing understanding. Speaking of technology, then we have Suzanne Voss on our side. She's digital fashion designer at The Fabricant, which probably all of us already know as a brand. Um, and of course, uh, I've seen a lot of people coming from that space, sorry, ex with, uh, with a lot of experience coming from the pattern making. Uh, is that your case too? Yeah, so I have a tailoring background and after that I studied fashion design and um, learn 3D by doing it myself, by YouTube videos mainly, yeah. That's how we learn stuff nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> Love YouTube. <laughs> Future education. <laughs> Sometimes I find myself learning things without even wanting to learn them just because I end up in the loop of all the suggested videos and uh, I can't just get out of them. Yeah, I, but then I watch Sousa uh, and Amber on, on Twitch as well. And I find, I find your sessions like weirdly soothing, just the, the chill vibe on there. It's awesome. Oh, it's so cool to have you there, Matthew. Um, yes, thank you. It's good to hear. Um, yeah, we're kind of like opening um, our Twitch sessions to educate people about what we're doing within the Fabricant, but also to create a space where we can co-create as we believe um, like the kind of old school fashion system where there's like one head designer that has like all the fame. Um, we feel like that that's, that's not the future anymore. Like the future is to co-collaborate and create um, collections together. Um, so we are very excited to, to share our process, but also our assets and see if other people would pick that up, what, what outcome that would have. It, it's, really, it's really hard to do uh, any creative work uh, without diversity in terms of uh, having different points of view in, within the room. So I think the approach Suzanne is suggesting there makes sense also on, on any creative project. And I was wondering if, uh, Yasmin, uh, you find yourself uh, uh, sometimes having this, this urge also, or uh, what, what's your feeling about it? No, definitely. I think um, in general within the society, I believe that everything kind of like starts with education. And I think the schools uh, in the late um, late years, like they had kind of like an, um, a really important um, a role in this. 
because they've been kind of like focusing uh, from what I can see uh, mainly into forming and educating uh, kind of like a single individual star designer, let's say, or a catwalk where the world was kind of like going completely in another direction. You know, the world was based of uh, exchanging, the economy is changing drastically. So it feels, as uh, Lee Edelkold would say, you know, um, out of fashion. <laughs> and uh, so I, I definitely I definitely think that um, that's the case. I think it's not really a time anymore uh, actually, it's been a long time that it, um, uh, this kind of like a one uh, one man on a on a command is um, it, it can be an answer. I think it's more about involving. As I think it's more about exchanging ideas, and it's more about getting the subject is not uh, a designer, but the subject is actually uh, the idea itself or the contamination within different uh, people and ideas and. Uh, and that's that's definitely the key to to build something uh, strong and uh, uh, and then I think it's definitely the the answer for the future. So yeah, great. Matthew, on your side, uh, this this I think the key word in this case would be some sort of decentralization of the of what's the creative work in general. But then I think that applies a bit everywhere, also on technology and also on. Uh, um, and maybe the outsourcing of specific things. Uh, wh what about your experience in this kind of uh, subject? I'd like particularly for any integration of technology that it's, it's really impossible for one individual to begin to apply all of the different techniques which are really required for the industry to move forward. I, I think working collaboratively has been behind every project that we've done over the last eight years or so. Um, and you're looking at, at skill sets that like, typically don't exist within traditional fashion businesses. So um, yeah, working, working across visual effects and the gaming industry to pull all of those skill sets together to work with design. The, these are things which are kind of not a normal way of working in the fashion industry, but are becoming more accepted and, and just more necessary, right? So, um, yeah, I, I, I feel like it's been part of everything we've done for the uh, nearly 10 years or so that we've been doing it. Yeah, yeah, it's really important. It's interesting what you said, because basically it almost feels like even my role within, uh, within the company wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for the fact that actually uh, the need when you're talking about technology within the fashion space to take inspiration from the outside is quite uh, predominant and therefore vert vertical uh, experience in this case is probably not necessarily a, something you'd want, but you'd probably prefer uh, resources that are more horizontal in terms of skill sets that can bring different points of view in, uh, w within the company. And then uh, Jordana, on your side, uh, what's your point of view on this subject? I love what you just said about outside voices coming into the industry. Funny enough, when we started Fashion Innovation about two and a half years ago, we were bringing people like directors of NASA and VP of Google and different types of tech um, to come on stage and speak to designers and friends about how the technology innovate moving forward for systemic change in the industry. And what's been really interesting is that now you know, we've had almost 500 speakers at this point um, and we bring in again, like we always make sure that when we say we bring in the tech space, we don't necessarily talk mm -hmm. to tech that was born into fashion, but really tech that should come into the fashion industry for the changes that we need to see be made. And the last thing I'll say, I totally agree with collaboration and global voices and inputs and lots of people having to play a role when it comes to the supply chain in general for us to have real change. And I think it's more important than ever to hold collaboration as technology and brands. Suzanne, I would, I would assume you, you're, you're quite biased on the subject, but my question is quite, um, in your regards, uh, the, I, I know already what the answer is gonna be and actually that's what I wanna hear. So I'm gonna ask it, ask it anyway. Uh oh! <laughs> I'm gonna say completely something different. <laughs> Tell me how wonderful the world of 2D is. Uh, 
if you could imagine uh, the future for fashion in the next five, ten years, uh, I'd assume you'd definitely go towards the 3D. Uh, what I'm interested in, though, is within the 3D space, where do you see 3D applying the best? Is it a means of designing? Is it a means of uh, prototyping? Is it a means of uh, sampling? Or uh, is, is it use more useful within virtual showrooms? Within your experience, has it been more useful maybe in the marketing space? Like, where, where do you see it applying better? And if it's all of them, uh, I'm just happier. Yeah, yeah. I think there's not a, a better. I think it's just for all of, of the spaces, it will be digital. I, I really believe that uh, digital is the future. Um, so what I would like to see is that in, in any space, uh, it becomes way, way more digital as we are working towards that. Um, so there's, there's no going back anymore. There's only um, going forward. I believe. Can I jump in and say something? Is that okay? You have to, yes. <laughs> no, I just wanted to say, I think like, you know, what's interesting is when we say the future of, um, I feel like there's this quick kind of like, I feel like a lot of people feel like the, because it's the future, it has to be completely different. I do agree that 3D is making a huge impact in the industry when it comes to prototype showrooms, runway shows and everything. but. I don't think, I think there's going to be this hybrid between the 3D digital world and the world that we know as fashion today, because I really don't see, and this is just my point of view, and I'd love to, you know, know about what you guys think, but I just don't see the entire future of fashion being digital, because I think that the whole, like, you know, artisans, and there's so much to fashion that I think just can't be lost to digital, but I think digital will play a big role, but I don't think just because we say the future of, it's going to be completely different in that case. That's just my thoughts, and I'd love mm -hmm. to hear what you guys think. Yeah, I, I love that idea, uh, Jordana. It's like clothing is, is something also really close to our body. It's something that we feel on our skin as well. So I also believe there will always be this part of we want to feel something around it, even if it's just for practical uh, reasons. And I also love this idea of that it's become hybrid like how i envision is that like now we have to send so many like if we're going about the prototype space like we have to send like back and forth so many protos between the production countries and in here like uh how i envision it like maybe in 10 years it won't be necessary anymore and we just like we're, we're already prototyping digitally but maybe even the production can be uh, peer to peer, like from from like custom custom made. Um, that that would be like my ideal vision. I kind of agree and with you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think sometimes there's that sense that you feel like it's one or the other. That kind of digital is some in somehow replacing physical, and it's like in all of those areas, in some ways it may replace and through supply chain, it makes sense. And like as Susan said in prototyping, it makes sense to do that. Um, but it's it's kind of making the awareness that this is enhancing what we could do. This is in addition. And I, I guess if there's anything over the last 12 months has taught us, it's that whatever can be digitized will be digitized. And it, it's this extra opportunity for the industry to find new ways of creative expression for us to find new interactions that idea that you know what you wear every day changes how you feel if we can do that in some kind of digital sense i think that's incredibly empowering so i think that there's going to be new opportunities that 3d augmented reality and mixed reality mm -hmm. offer to the world um, beyond all of the really practical things through supply chain that 3D will definitely impact. Yasmin, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yes, on your point, on your perspective, of course, um, I think you're not see, you, you wouldn't see it only as a designer with a designer hat on, but in terms of also as a consumer and so on. Yeah. So I'm interested on your take uh, on uh, how you feel, regardless of 3D, uh, the process of digitalization uh within a department like the design department overall and given that you have experience across different brands you probably have 
a good view of the kind of mindsets you'd have in those departments. Uh, how percept how um, perceptive are, are people within the that that kind of department towards technology, mm -hmm. and if they're defensive towards the physical realm, which is rightfully so based on what we just said, mm -hmm. uh, what do you think are the key traits that um, people fear of? fear technology for for instance and where do you think can it be an added value and where could it be uh, actually uh, some sort of negative evolution of of, uh, of of the of the industry well i'm going to start with saying that uh, uh, certain things are inevitable so progress is inevitable in this case and i think there's a lot that can be implemented but as as i said before fashion is at the moment, unfortunately, it's always been kind of like a leading um, uh, and avant-garde uh, branch of the industry. At the moment, is not, and so many things needs to change. Uh, especially coming, I mean, knowing the kind of like uh, the Italian reality of the industry and stuff, uh, they all. Um, Kind of like small uh, realities, so small uh, uh, small <laughs> suppliers, and they um, invested in like um, um, let's say more uh, mechanical side of innovation, you know, uh, and digital something often here, uh, especially in the country that still is way way behind on that di digitalization in general. Uh, it's something mm -hmm. that it's uh, it's almost a taboo. And uh, but I think a lot uh, a lot is happening already, and a lot is happening already, especially in the in bigger productions, mass productions. And I think uh, this kind of like a more a luxury side will uh, definitely follow. So, for example, we just um, the good side of uh, of this whole pandemic is that actually we've been uh, forced to kind of like accelerate all of those uh, and implement all of those changings. So, for example, just to be able to to sell um, the collection to um, some uh, clients, let's say overseas or something, we were uh, we uh, used the 3D in terms of uh, you know showing the the prototypes that we actually never made physically, you know, or color variations or something that we, that actually never happened in real life. So that was a great tool, for example, and something practical. But going back to the uh, to the beginning of the conversation, I do think that um, we do need clothes now, and need uh, whatever we're going to call it in the future. So I, uh, di digitalization and this kind of like a way of, um, of seeing gonna be implemented is going to have huge impact on fashion and the industry in general. But I still think that uh, we can uh, we're gonna have both in uh, in uh, probably the um, fashion it will and I hope um, that's gonna happen soon. But it will change drastically, and we're gonna see something else in the future where we can uh, talk about it later. But uh, it uh, both both will exist, and um, yeah. It feels like um, a new industry is uh just flourishing at the moment which is isn't necessarily specifically fashion but is related to fashion uh more generally art within the digital space uh that could potentially in future become uh, a new uh revenue model for fashion brands and uh matthew specifically and jordana uh, then of course i'd like to to hear your points of view uh, we're talking about a world in which probably people are spending, if not more, but at least as much time as they are in the phys in the physical world, also within the digital world, talking about gaming and uh, and virtual reality, and then spaces in which people are keen to invest to appear as much as they would invest to appear in the physical world, also in the digital world, and to stand out in the digital world through maybe... Uh, dressing their avatars or uh, just by uh, boosting their the features of their avatars and so on so it looks like there's there's a new um, industry that's that's get, that's raising at the moment uh, that at the moment is being capitalized on only by uh, of course um, uh, players in the gaming industry but it's an interesting one in which I think 
uh, there might be interesting application of the of the fashion industry if if digitalized and brought in that kind of world would it could even become a, a new revenue model for some fashion I mean, brands. It's kind of inevitable, isn't it? I I, I think. It's not even a, a new business model. You look at the gaming industry and digital purchases have been around for a very long time. And, um, the industry is worth about $50 billion a year in, in digital purchases. This is this has been an opportunity for fashion to be involved in for a long time. And, um, you know, there are a number of examples of where brands have started to move into that space. Um, so I, and there will be a lot more over the next year or so. Um, it's a market and a demographic that is clearly of key importance for many luxury brands. Um, and I, I think it's a generation that is growing up entirely comfortable with making purely digital purchases. I mean, most of that $50 billion probably comes from my house alone. Um, but I think there is that similarity when you look certainly within the walled fence of a game uh, you look at how you're represented within that and the same kind of excitement when you're shopping through skins comes to you as you feel when you're shopping in real life it's like I would look cool in that I want to see myself in that and there is some kind of identity that you place within a digital sense to to those purchases so for sure um it's there to be done within gaming as a sector but we will move over the next five to ten years into a world where it becomes possible to have that kind of experience outside of just gaming as well Mm -hmm. jordana uh it used to be I, whether it's in the physical or digital world, the objective here seems to be some sort of standing out or anyway, having your own personality and expressing yourself, which has always been probably at the heart of what the fashion is as, as a concept and why it actually uh, succeeded as an industry. Uh, how much is now, how do you feel at least nowadays that important uh, or the standing out or expressing myself has become uh, maybe influenced also by the fact that my decisions in this aspect are also influenced by the fact that I also want to know how much I'm contributing to making the world a better place or not. And I'm talking more specifically, of course, about sustainability and how much do you think that is influencing consumer behavior today? And is it really? And uh, do you think there's a difference between uh, fast fashion and uh, luxury? That's a really good question. Um, Well, I'm just going to give my opinion um, because everybody has an opinion on this, I feel. But I think sustainability continues to be talked about a lot. The problem is everybody has a different definition to what sustainability means. So are consumers looking to buy more sustainable? Yes, but depending on what they're definition of sustainability is so you you know so a lot of people think okay if i buy a luxury brand rather than fast fashion it's going to last me longer so i'm going to keep it longer in my closet i won't dispose of it as quickly so that in itself could be sustainable so i think when it comes to like i think major change needs to happen for us to really see a shift towards consumer going more sustainable i think people want to make more conscious decisions when it comes to shopping but i think a lot of people don't know really what that means yet. And I think that's a big problem that we are still lagging behind in the industry in general. Um, and I also, I see, you know, something that's really interesting. I've been seeing a lot of the gaming when it comes to the technologies, people trying to create these games where they can involve the end consumer to play games, to learn more about sustainability by just like clicking through digital clothing from different brands and learning the story. I think people do want to feel connected to what they're seeing when it comes to brands. I think they want to know more about the behind the scenes. I think they want to, you know, be a part of who made it and why and the mission and all of that. But sustainability in general as the term sustainability, I think there's a lot of room, a lot of way to go with that still. I agree with you. And also what I'm thinking of is, um, 
uh, at the moment there's a lot of mouthful and uh, a lot of talking about it and as you said uh, there isn't a clear direction even within the specific brands or big groups even though they have a sustainability plans here's our plans and so on um Ultimately, it feels like at the beginning, the reason those brand, brands are doing it is because they want to attract more consumers and be more attractive for consumers. And that's exactly the wrong reason why you should be sustainable as a brand anyway. Like the key thing, otherwise it would mean you haven't understood what the purpose of sustainability is, which is saving the planet. So um, it feels like, of course, every single brand will have a different definition. And of course, depending on the kind of industry they work in, uh, this this definition will be different and uh, be applied differently. Uh, but I th what I'm interested in, and I think is going to be uh, anyway a positive outcome of this situation, even though it's confusing, is that even if brands are still are going to be changing or in initiating sustainable, well, starting initi uh, to initiate sustainable activities, uh, even though they're doing it for the wrong reasons, in the end, what matters to me is that they're 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 doing it in one sense so on this side i'm cynical and i think this is going to be a positive thing on the other one what worries me is the same thing you said jordana which is probably there's a lot of confusion and uh, i don't really think consumers as you said um are, really care and especially in the luxury space it, it, there's this strange situation where you have luxury brands who can actually afford to be sustainable because honestly to increase the price tag by 10, 15 euros per single product won't really affect the consumer's decision, I think, technically. So luxury is probably one of the few industries where it's easier to implement sustainable solutions because even if they are expensive, I'm not sure that they're not gonna shift consumer behavior. But then on the other side, I'm not sure that consumers would appreciate that change uh, and uh, be more loyal to the brand because of that, uh, especially in the luxury space, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but then on the other side, as I said before, uh, uh, who cares in the end? The important is that we're getting to the same result, which is you know, speeding up the, the, the process of uh, uh, changing all those bad behaviors fashion brands had for the past uh, Yeah, and I just have years, to say one more thing to that. I think that, um, you know, I, I think when it comes to like what you just talked about with raising like the, you know, it, I think every step that a brand takes, regardless of the reason, as long as they're talking about it, it's already a first step. So I always feel like that should be applauded, like the incremental steps. And I think that as an industry, I think we have to stop throwing around the term greenwashing, honestly, because I think, like I said, there are different definitions of what people see sustainability to be. And if a brand is not saying I'm fully sustainable, they're just saying, I'm, you know, I have sustainability efforts and people are so quick to jump greenwashing. And then the brand, like they, they just stop talking about it because like this green hushing, which is a new term. So I think that we just all have to one, kind of have like a more concise definition and idea of what are we going to have sustainability really mean to then be able to have like give brands a certain like caliber somewhere to breach you know so yeah i, I think that there's a, mm -hmm. i could yeah those are my thoughts i think yeah the other point i wanted to make is that if you think it as a, a there's a quote from the incredibles 2 movie which was uh, something along the lines of if at one point everybody becomes a hero there'll be no hero and i'll Ultimately, this is where we want to get, no? There's, there's no reason for brands to talk about sustainability because it's not cool anymore. It's just the norm. And hopefully that's yeah. where we will get. Uh, I, I honestly see um, a lot of challenges ahead on the, on, on the sense. Uh, Yasmin, on your, on your side, what do you think? Well, I'm going to... Uh, I have to say that I totally agree with uh, Jordana. I think it's uh, the the uh, consumer, the average consumer, often doesn't even care, or most likely doesn't uh, doesn't really know what that means. Uh, but I think there's huge, humongous things that um, that can be done in the, in sustainability from so many different different uh, aspects. But I think first, probably we need some kind of like political intervention in this. So uh, to regulate what sustainable is, you know, because we can all like produce, uh, you know, like a, a few garments in the collection and say like, oh, you know, and get the advantage of like, uh, 
of uh, of a visibility that brings to uh, uh, with the greenwashing and everything. And I, but uh, yeah. from uh, going back to the changes, I think there's uh, at least from what what I can see from my everyday experience and uh, also in the uh, knowing kind of like the the, the uh, at least the Italian European let's say um, fashion system. Uh, there's so much that can be done uh, so from the industry, of course, which is kind of like the uh, the most obvious um, uh, approach to actually also within design, a lot can be done, you know, because the first kind of like uh, the first idea, mm -hmm. everything initiates from the design office. So uh, by uh, I think also the designer itself needs to be conscious of what that means in the first place in order to implement some drastic changes in order to change, uh, for example, one fabric, uh, the, the, the other one, you know, and uh, there's so much that can be done also with the, with the design team in terms of um, in terms of production, sustainability is also having uh, a more uh, a smaller collections you know, better design, really well edited, because uh, there's so much waste. There's insane amount of waste of, uh, of uh, um, prototypes that are being made and they never see the day of light in the, in the shops uh, or fabrics, uh, for example, ordered that they've never been used. And so many companies, uh, luxury companies actually are, uh, for them it's cheaper to get rid of and burn those uh, prototypes of fabrics and stuff instead of, finding a way to reusing them or in the first place actually uh, having some uh, strategy and getting a bit more organized in terms of not producing uh, things that are not necessary. So the editing is something really, really important in terms of also delivery, for example, in the actual uh, stores, mm -hmm. you know, a lot can be done because at the moment in a luxury we have, uh, we have a lot of, uh, for example, we deliver uh, the summer collection in winter, the winter collection in summer, you know, that there's really, uh, really like um, absurd, I would say, things going on in terms of pricing even, because we need to, we need yeah. to educate, uh, we need to educate the final client that a certain price has, uh, has also uh, a, a meaning because there's people behind it, there's work behind it, there's uh, companies, other companies, other suppliers behind it. And, and it kind of like, I think we need to work on the transparency. You know, it's ridiculous, for example, for me that a t-shirt can, can cost uh, um, less than a sandwich or, you know, it means that some, somebody is suffering uh, from it. So that's also sustainability, actually making sure that, uh, uh, you know, people that uh, everyone who is involved in the creation of a, of a collection or any kind of project like gets actually the right, um, uh, the, the respected needs of time. And of, um, so there's a lot, a lot, a lot can be done. And I feel again, I don't want to be pessimistic, but I feel that um, really fashion is so, so behind. It's really sad to watch. No, but literally, you in uh, in three minutes, you touched upon the biggest issues the fashion industry has today and has to deal with. Um, Matthew and Suzanne, on your side, uh, one of the subjects um, Yasmin has talked about is basically to do with traceability and the fact that you're able to actually show the client the value of the work that's been done by tracing back uh, the quality of the different uh, stages in which the product has been worked on. Uh, Matthew, on your side, one of the biggest thing, challenges I've found uh, when looking at this as a, as a subject is that ultimately, you know, people throw in keywords such as blockchain and buzzwords such as blockchains and, and NFTs in, in this environment. And I think uh, that's the ultimate. The, the, the last of the issues because of course that's the technology you can put on a, la a layer you can put on top once you have the data stream and you have the whole vision complete so that everything is locked down and, and secured uh, but what we're missing at the moment is the smaller data feeds as I mentioned throughout the process and being able to track back you know like they do sometimes in the um, farming industry where actually you can track back uh, from the uh, the, the farm from which the specific cow was coming from, 
and the meat of the specific cow was coming from. Uh, in, in the fashion industry, uh, it feels like that process is harder uh, to track back. I'm is not that sure true? that it's harder. I think there's, uh, there's a question around transparency, right? And how much does the industry want to expose where its supply chains are and where they go to? Because like you, you don't need blockchain to be transparent. Like the discussion around blo blockchain and supply chain has never made any sense. Exactly. I mean, we ran a blockchain project back in 2017 and, and anything around physical products in blockchain just doesn't make any sense because it requires human interaction. And as soon as you do that, you devalue what is supposed to be a digital only ledger, right? So uh, if you know what your supply yeah. chain is, then you can simply tell customers that, right? If it's that important, then you can just be open about it. But I think there is a, a massive problem around that. And Yasmin touched on reg regulation. I think it has to come, right? And it's difficult at a global level, but like it, domestically countries are gonna have to start tackling this. And the last 12 months have shown all of the inefficiencies in global supply chains and um, a, a shift towards reshoring, which I think will enable brands to perhaps be a little bit more open about what they're doing, but um, I would question whether there's that internal desire to be as open as they could be. The, the feeling I have when it comes down to regulations and the fact that countries struggle to align in this sense and we keep seeing ourselves and probably that goes back, this is more a philosophical consideration given the fact that we we still reasoning by country and not as a as an entire world. Therefore, the regulations and and the 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 way they're applied is a bit uh, inconsistent across the world, uh, depending on on where who you're dealing with. Uh, but I agree with you, and exactly, I think you you got the point, which is uh, you know, you know who cares about the technology you're using to store the data. Uh, at the end, what's what's really what really matters is if you have trace of the. Uh, product from the beginning so from the raw material show it uh, and if you're not showing it I don't think that's a matter that's got to, anything to do with blockchain it's got to do with the fact that you just don't want to show it on the other hand what I've realized is that it's really hard to go back that far and probably many brands wouldn't even want to go back that far especially when it when it goes uh, down to raw materials which also makes me think that then considerations that we did with Suzanne earlier about the digitalization of certain processes is actually an added value, at least with regards to the designing phase and the and the and the uh, pr prototyping phases. Uh, so as you said earlier, also the the whole supply chain would benefit from it. But then when you go into the production, I think the biggest suggestion was from ja Yasmin before, who mentioned you know, maybe we should be a bit more careful and more uh, look back at our data to make sure that when we're deciding to create a collection and we choose the amounts we create for a specific collection, we're doing it based on an informed decision rather than gut feeling, uh, because otherwise we're going to end up throwing away a lot of trash. Susan, is there anything you'd like to add on uh, this yeah, consideration? Yeah, I feel like uh, the entire blocks, blockchain uh, discussion yeah, it's, it's really a field that still needs to be explored. There's now so many ways of going in there and uh, I'm, I'm still educating myself around um, the subject itself. Um, but like imagine that if you would put um, your artwork up there or your collaborative artwork which you could make uh, with different artists, like um, imagine in 100 years you can see back um who made it and who owned it like imagine you could have uh, a data of the mona lisa so you're basically seeing uh where the mona lisa have been all that time like it's not only uh about yeah yes yeah, it's, it's just about creating transparency but it's also writing uh history and um you know a lot of content that we create on on um on Instagram or Facebook or whatever kind of channels, you know, in 50 years that will be gone, you know, and where, where will that content be? You know, what, what is our history book then? Like there's so many, um, 
yeah, creative work, what's put up there, you know. So it's, uh, I feel this is important to to get into and see how it develops. But it's kind of like this medieval place still where nobody knows where it's actually going to. And um, sometimes it's quite unstable because you see also all those cryptocurrencies going up and down. And so it's like, it's it's exciting. And there's still a lot of explore uh, in this field. It feels like if a designer was today to draw a pattern and uh, put it in as an NFT uh, on the market, uh, what Suzanne is saying that in 100 years, you'd be able to track back whoever's owned that pattern throughout the years and whoever's used it into other art pieces throughout the years. And uh, Yasmin's sons and daughters in 100 years uh, will be able to get the revenues from the shares given by the royalties uh, from from that process. So on an on, on an artistic point of view and copyright point of view, I think uh, this is becoming an interesting subject. Uh, uh, definitely is going to revolutionize not 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 a bit, but a lot uh, the arts world, which includes also uh, maybe fashion. Uh, Matthew, in, in your on your instance, uh, what's what's the best uh, applications do you think for NFTs? Uh, uh, for the fashion world, have you seen anything interesting that's really worthwhile, or is it still people playing oh, around? Fab, and, you're going to uh, touch really on one of my sore points because I, <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I have a couple of concerns about kind of the explosive interest in NFTs, and one of them sits around the environmental impact, which is so extraordinarily high that I don't think. You know, I mean, if you're seriously talking about sustainability, that anyone could really be engaging with that kind of activity. Uh, mm -hmm. You want to explain why, so that people that are listening maybe understand better what you're saying? Because it feels like a contradiction, right? You're you're saying that something digital isn't really sustainable, and uh, there's a, a, a of yeah, course so, a clear I mean, reason because of that. I would say that the general consensus is that crypto currency such as bitcoin and ethereum which is what nf the nft market relies on has a, a really enormous electrical output i think you're probably looking in terms of associated carbon footprint something around being equivalent to the the whole of argentina so that is that is about 29th in the wow. world for energy consumption that's now with a relatively niche usage around it. So th that's the cryptocurrencies yes. and then the creation of NFTs themselves also requires a huge amount of energy and processor power. So to kind of quantify that, you could imagine a single edition NFT kind of being an EU resident's electricity consumption for one month. That's a single edition NFT. <laughs> Having had to go through the process of putting an object as an NFT on the market on, on, on OpenSea, I can personally testify that given how much time it took me to do it, and not just because yep. I'm stupid, but also because it's, it's a complex process, and, and the amounts of yeah. operations that happen on the background for that object to actually go on sale or auction on the website is... Uh, I totally can confirm what you're saying, uh, just by personal experience, but also it makes totally sense. And uh, that is definitely something that's worth uh, keeping I mean, an eye so on, being careful of. Like a single Ethereum transaction, um, like a single click in that transaction is about 20 kilograms of CO2. Like you could be watching Netflix okay. for hours and you're watching and you're using maybe three or four grams, like 20 kilograms for one click. And then, as you said, Fab, that I, I think when you're going through that NFT process, it's, there's lots of different transactions involved in that from minting to bidding, canceling bid, sale, transfer of ownership, all of those things happen. It's, it's, it's really big. And that's something which, um, you know, I, I think, it concerns me enormously when we have such a limited amount of time to make a difference to what we're doing to the planet, to add something which has such enormous mm -hmm. ramifications to it. 
seems irresponsible, but I, you know, when you see the sums of money being thrown around, I kind of get it. It's, it's a pure gold rush. I see creatives rushing towards it as a, as a new revenue stream, as a, uh, a way of creating uh, a new way of engagement. But I think the impact is, is really, really big. And just to wrap up the other couple of bits are around just the legalities you mentioned copyright you can you can sell anyone's work yeah <laughs> i can i can sell any tweet there's a platform which will allow me to sell your tweets anything and um and also around the ownership there's a lot of discussion around nfts providing proof of ownership um they don't provide proof of ownership they provide proof of transaction so you can see provenance but you don't own that underlying ip mm-hmm. You, you own you own a token that's what you exactly own. yeah right which is very different i say owning the physical mona lisa like if you want to take that off display then you can do that that is not the case at the moment with nfts yeah. and anyone today could sell a bansky uh, as an nft yeah. or a versace yeah. dress as an nft and make money out of it and Versace or uh, Bansky wouldn't see a single penny. I mean, I, th- I think what is exciting is kind of beginning to see like what it has done is pushed everyone's mind into the fact that we are going to see a digital world full of transactions where literally everything can be digitized. And I think that mind shift uh, change is really important because these things these things are going to happen. I, mm-hmm. I just have some grave concerns about that underlying infrastructure as it stands right now. Well, given the data you laid out, uh, the concerns are uh, totally legit. Um, Jordana, uh, Yasmin earlier mentioned something related to the amount of um, basically trash that the industry is creating. And uh, you found a creative solution in the past uh, you're actually using still now uh, in terms of recycling. Uh, is it old garments or is it just uh, the fabric? How, how does that work? How's the, how did the nylon well, so the project, nylon project um, The name is the nylon project, but it's not anything to do with recycling. I can tell you what it is, though. That's actually, that's, yeah, so the nylon project yeah, um, really please. started because I feel like the fashion industry, obviously being one of the biggest in the world, could impact billions of people if you share messages that can really make a difference in the world. And so I called it the nylon project, but that's the project that I did to humanize homelessness using the fashion industry and also to give back to homelessness. So there are two parts to the project. The first um, is just really utilizing voices of people that are influential in the industry to speak of struggles that they've overcome in their lives that are similar struggles to what makes somebody homeless. Um, showing people that you know it doesn't is not we're not that different from each other when it comes to struggles and just a circumstance that one person has that the other doesn't. Um, and then the other part of it is. I started working with a lot of brands now. So when the book is launched, it's going to come out May of this year. So in two months, a month and a half. Uh, and once it comes out, I'm getting brands together to mm-hmm. that have excess inventory to donate that excess inventory. And we're going to be uh, working with a few homeless shelters and doing some projects for families that are getting out of homelessness and need those clothes to go to job interviews and things that they can have that are classic pieces as well as just give to homeless shelters for people that come into them with nothing. Um, so those are the two things that I'm doing with the Nylon Project, but it's really a project for homelessness, not for really recycling. Gotcha. Still, you're anyway yeah. collecting yeah, I, uh, used items. Or in excess inventory that oh. brands, and even maybe, you know, if, if there's fast fashion brands that have, rather than send, you know, the excess to waste, and create more damage in the world, donating it so that we can give it to people that, you know, won't just dispose of it after one wear, but rather really take care of it because they don't have anything to begin with. So that's kind of the premise behind the project. Yeah. It's annoying how much gets burned every year. Uh, or It's crazy how people uh, think that 
you know, I just honestly, I have to say, since I've, you know, started Fashion Innovation and after hearing so many things and seeing so many things and devastating things when it comes to the just planet Earth, um, I honestly, nowadays, I if I have to walk into a shopping center, which I don't think I've been in a very long time, it actually makes me nauseous. Like, I don't think we need that much stuff. It's obviously, you know, I'm not saying that we all have to be in uniforms and wear the same thing every day and not have style or trend because that's a big part of fashion. But what I am saying is you don't have to buy something just to take a selfie and post on Instagram and then dispose of it to get something else. Like, that's just, it's crazy to me. It's mind-boggling, honestly. Yeah. One of the... Um um trends that lately are emerging a lot well it's actually not very recent but anyway um rental and, and in many instances it looks like people are actually renting out not only for special occasions but also for photo shoots and then uh, uh just suppose with a, with a specific bag on uh, on instagram and then give it a, give it back uh one interesting data is that i noticed uh in a few reports uh, a few a few weeks ago was uh, related to the fact that during COVID, since the deliveries of uh, e-commerce uh, rate where were actually delayed, uh, UPS being one of the main ones uh, as, as, as carriers who, got, uh, who, who suffered from these delays mostly, uh, customers actually, one of the reasons for in 2020 for people to give back uh returns from uh buying e-commerce was actually uh related to uh delays in the in 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 the delivery rather than wrong sides which is another counterintuitive thing because you would expect most of the reasons for returns would be wrong sides because of course i didn't try it on and this returns makes me think that maybe there's a buying behavior especially within specific e-commerces within the luxury space that is more related to, I've got an event, I have to dress well, I'm buying something specific to show off and then I'm giving back. And then since the product didn't come on time, I just have to give it back as it is. And uh, this, is, uh, this is also a worrying stat that I think uh, tells us a lot about the consumer behavior, um, especially within the luxury space. And I think that rental uh, is an interesting one, but more importantly, I think for brands to start incentivizing secondhand, we, you know, it's not a luxurious example, but within the fashion space, Patagonia is doing so so well. I don't know if you guys have other examples, but uh, it feels like that's something that uh, is a good behavior to inject to consumers. And if you have a community of people that are, you know, like love brands that are high, you know, luxury fashion, high-end fashion brands. Uh, you know, secondhand is anyway something that's going to happen and it's still happening. It's just uh, whether the brand wants to incentivize it and maybe have programs for which uh, they can even capitalize on the fact that they're secondhand and uh, uh, push consumers to a more, uh, as Jordana was saying, uh, um, uh, I just want to say one thing quickly to that. Behavior. There's a new tech company that I learned of recently and I talk about them all the time because I think it really speaks to what you just said. Um, it's a company called Recurate. Um, they're fairly new, but it's a solution tech provider that mm -hmm. allows you to embed it into any existing uh, platform. So let's say PBF, Versace, any brand. And the customer, actually, when they don't want their dress anymore from that specific brand, they can actually resell it and get points to buy something new on the actual website of the brand. So that it, it keeps the customer loyalty, it creates more engagement with the client. Um, and I thought it was actually genius what they've created with this. And they're, I know they're speaking a lot of brands that are going to start implementing this. So that it's definitely a great way to go, 100%. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a win-win uh, kind of situation together with also reusing packaging is another thing that brands could easily implement yeah. with from one day to the mm -hmm. other with a huge Can I just jump in? Uh, uh, so uh, I think I, yeah, it's, I think it's a really, really interesting topic. And I think uh, it's a, actually a problem that can kind of like it, um, be extended also to other branches of, um, of um, uh, industry. For example, um, I find kind of like quite um, amazing that what we said before that in the lockdown, we understood 
uh, probably for the first time, because we had uh, also time to think, um, that we don't need so many things. And this is just because we the system had to be slowed down because that was kind of like a bigger uh, bigger issue. But also the, pro the bigger problem all, it feels like that, like a system that is based on a, a constant growth maybe is not sustainable anymore. So what I would uh, love to see after all of this uh, pandemic, actually, that we kind of like um, start taking the acknowledge of this and then start implementing actually some drastical changes. Um, then on the other side, what you were talking about, um, uh, repairing uh, kind of like uh, things and stuff. I think it's really something that it's uh, highly suitable, especially for uh, luxury brands, because it's a really a high-end uh, kind of like a product. Uh, so there's a um, there's a, this kind of like a there could be an added value to a garment that probably let's say you bought in the uh, I don't know, 10 years ago, and uh, is is not maybe is not maybe in the best shape exactly, anymore. Or exactly. actually, is even something from your uh, your parents or your grandparents or whatever, and you go back to the to the to the brand you bought it from, and then maybe there's kind of like a an added value that is put on it, you know, by um, uh, customizing and redesigning parts. Uh, adding something to it, and then you go out with this, without buying necessarily something new. You just add a value on something that already. Exactly, exactly. That would you be have it like this kind of like a approach of a more circular uh, economy. I think it would be would be really, uh, really, really something to um, good, and I think would be a good sign, especially from from a passion from. A, this industry that still has to implement so many changes would be something amazing. Look, what better ad for a fashion brand than having a product last 10 years and then someone else buy it? Or a product last 10 years and then it being converted or evolved into something fresh and new just by tweaking it slightly. Uh, I think it's it's an amazing uh, add itself for the quality of the product that's been uh, produced and i think that's where probably luxury as you mentioned has got a, yeah because we advantage. kind of like we we always say that we're making a timeless pieces you know often in fashion you have this uh, quote but like let's make it timeless mm -hmm. for real you know let's give it a, another life let's give it another value let's put it in the context of uh, maybe if it's something really old let's put it in the context of a uh, nowadays and what what that how that garment from 10 20 or 30 years ago can fit today and what's the you know give it a new life i think would be amazing yeah can i react on that because i i really love what you just said jasmine i i feel a lot of times when we talk about sustainability we talk about environmental issues um but i feel it's also like um a really big cultural uh issue like um, our clothing has no meaning anymore. Like we don't create any any like deeper meaning. Like I was watching lately this video of um, um, a, like um, was like a craft that they did in uh, Indonesia, and like the woman of that village, uh, she was the last one that that could do that craft. And if she dies, the entire craft dies. You know, and uh, the way of doing that craft, like how she weaved it. Um, that, that that really tells a story that's like brought from generation to generation, and and we we kind of lost that within our own wardrobe. So I love the idea of uh, owning this item of your parents or your grandparents or your loved ones, you know, and creating something new because this gives so much value to to the garment you're wearing. Mm. I love that. And I, something actually uh, good in fashion is being done in that matter for example i i grew up in florence uh in tuscany and um uh, a lot in the last let's say last 15 years a lot is being done uh, for example because florence is kind of like a historically big um, um a leather kind of like a making center and a lot of uh, big companies um, uh, big agglomerates of companies like uh, louis vuitton group or uh, caring uh, 
they've they've moved kind of like their uh, the, this uh, branch of uh, their house there, and they actually formed a school of educating these uh, this artisanal work that otherwise would be uh, it would be vanished uh, 20 years ago, you know. And they had to they had to make sure that actually they can produce their uh, goods also nowadays. And then so they started to um, uh, build school um, uh, and actually employ the the, the people that would uh, would study there. And just to make sure that this kind of like a artisanal, this kind of like handmade uh, product is going on and the knowledge is being passed again through generations. Yeah. It's amazing. It's a very good point. Okay, guys, uh, we just passed the hour mark. Uh, I'm cautious of everybody's time and really thankful for uh, for for the for the precious conversation that I wish we could actually repeat uh, as a sort of round table, maybe every once in a while. But of course, I'll exchange all contacts so you you guys can keep in touch uh, eventually. Um, we didn't go through uh, all of the things we could have talked to, but we did yeah. go through a lot. So <laughs> thanks, so thanks so much for Thank the, for the pleasant much. conversation. Nice really. awesome. Thank you very much, guys. Yeah, nice to hear your stories. Grazie. Speak to you soon. Ciao.